Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is not my producer, Kevin Black. Kevin is not joining us tonight. Um, but we have one of my co-hosts, Stephen Gillespie Manning, the producer's control. So Hashtag we are all covered on that front. That's right. <laughs> and lead co-host Maxwell Baumbach is also joining us tonight. We are back talking about the NBA draft. We're going to go through our 2023 top returners so this is going to be a mix of sophomores through seniors we have 16 names picked out for this podcast tonight so there's obviously about a handful that we're going to have a little longer of discussion about and then some of these other guys we're going to go through what are some of the things that we want to see from them so that they can boost their draft stock and possibly get into that first round conversation the first six i think it's it's more or less there are a number of people who definitely have them at least in decent consideration for a first round grade. So we're going to hop into that stuff really quickly before we do. I want to reiterate what we talked about on the last podcast, as far as an opening, if you listen to part two uh, of our 30 questions, 30 MB teams West preview, you would have heard that this podcast is moving to the no ceilings NBA podcast feed. So for those keeping score at home, this is the last full podcast episode that you're going to find on the Draft Deeper podcast feed. This is an emotional moment. I talked last time. It's been two years in the making, really building this feed up to what it is, now having two co-hosts with me, as well as a producer. It's It's been an incredible journey, an incredible ride, but all good things must technically come to an end but they're not really coming to an end. We're all coming together on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. You're going to get daily shows Monday through Friday, just like you do at our Substack and NoCeilingsNBA.com with our written work. So make sure you're subscribed to that feed wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and get ready because we have a lot of awesome things planned for that feed. I can't wait to see what we keep doing with it. But like I said, last episode here, on this feed, we will have a few reminders in the few weeks ahead to make sure you guys are all subscribed over to that feed. But thank you to all of our listeners for your support you've given this podcast over the few years that we've been doing it. Let's keep that support going. Let's transition that support over to the No Ceilings NBA feed. So final disclaimer on that. Not a long-winded intro this time. We're going to hop right into the meat and potatoes of this podcast because we have 16 guys that we're talking about. We, we got to keep it moving. Um, so let's start off. Let's go through these six guys. Like I mentioned, who we're going to have a a little more lengthier discussions about, because I think at least for some of these guys, this first guy we're starting out with Terquavian Smith, the NC state guard, six foot four, 165 pounds was a freshman last year. will be a sophomore this year. I had him in my first round conversation. By the time we got close to the 2022 draft, he obviously withdrew his name and he decided to go back to NC state which I thought was an interesting move. I think it's going to be hopefully good for his development, but there seemed to be a number of people, at least in the sphere that we operate in, who were giving him first-round grades. So you have to figure, if you're getting enough feedback that you can be drafted in the first round, you should probably enter the draft and keep your name in, right? He mustn't have gotten that feedback from trusted NBA personnel. So that that's kind of where my mind was going as far as why he decided to ultimately withdraw his name. Nevertheless, 
He's coming back for another go round. Let's go over some of his stats from last year. So he played in 32 games. He started in 25 of those games, playing 31.6 minutes per game, 16.3 points per game, 4.1 rebounds, 2.1 assists, shot almost 40% from the field, 37% from three-point range, almost 70% from the free throw line, 1.3 steals per game, 1.7 turnovers, 19.8 PER, and a 52.2 true shooting percentage. So Jaquavion Smith, shifty, speedy guard who will serve as the primary ball handler this year for the team as he did last year. He's progressed towards becoming a better passer and making better reads out of pick and roll. Can get to any spot on the floor in the blink of an eye. He creates separation as good as virtually any other guard in this class and is comfortable pulling up from any spot on the floor. Overconfidence, though, does lead to questionable shot selection. And is he's still improving at choosing... Uh, better spots in the mid-range, right? We'll hopefully keep coming with with better pace and play and figuring out how to change gears more often, take advantage of his shiftiness. He's a non-factor around the basket by the numbers. That's going to be a big knock on his game. I'm sure we're going to talk about here in a second. He really needs to take better angles, in my opinion, when attacking to put himself in position to not meet contact around the basket. He's tough, but he doesn't have the strength to get through defenders, right? He has the touch to further develop a floater, but he needs to work on being more of a complete threat in the paint. Um, I mentioned he kept progressing as a passer as well, but making multiple reads to the defense has to be a quicker process for him. Uh, I watched games last year where he looked like a deer in headlights trying to be the point guard out there rather than being more relied on as a score first option. So that's kind of my picture about how I feel about Jaquavion Smith going into year two. Steven, I'll start with you. What what was your evaluation on Smith last year, and what do you want to see from him going into this year? Yeah, so I had him in kind of like the middle of my second round. I had him right now looking at the latest that I that I had before I went on my journey. I had him at 48, kind of looking at where I had guys trending. I might have had him climb up a little bit more, but really my question was, what else is he going to do at the NBA level other than just be a volume three-point shooter, right? Like question about his size and his strength combination, question about his passing vision, question about, you know, any sort of defensive capability that he had. Really, you're projecting him last season as just like a volume three-point shooter. And if you're looking at the rest of the class, I don't know if there's anybody that I would look to take higher than him until I started getting into that middle of the second round conversation. So that's kind of where I had him projected. And based on him wanting to return for another year of college basketball, I wouldn't have been shocked if that's where a lot of other NBA executives kind of had him pigeonholed as well. Uh, Not to say that he can't grow and improve, but it's one of those things we see a lot of young guys now in the NBA, right? Like Teo Maladon, like you could be projected and you can have all the potential in the world, but if you're not getting on a court, you're going to get waived and you're going to get signed and hopefully be a reclamation project somewhere else, right? So maybe Terquavion Smith is looking at what happens in the NBA here in in the past few seasons or, you know, Jared Butler. I was was literally just going to say, give it the last few weeks. Sharif Cooper's got to find another home. Jared Butler just got waived by the Jazz. Like this is... It's a so, real problem for, for some of these point guards. It's not easy to be under 6'5 in the modern no. NBA. Exactly. So if you're a point guard and, and there's legitimate questions about the the holistic approach of your game, if all you're going to do is shoot threes, like there's an abundance of NBA guards that can do that. And at his size, you know, Maxwell just touched on it. It's kind of easily replaceable. So that's where I had him look. 
I would like to see him improve basically in every other aspect of his game other than shooting, right? Like he's got good athleticism too. Like I don't want to make it sound like he's just a standstill shooter. He can create, he's bursty, he's got good vertical leap. He can he can move laterally with the ball in his hands too. So there are tools there for him to improve. But not only him returning, Nathan and, and Maxwell, I'm sure you might touch on this too, but how about the decision to return to and stay at North Carolina State without Darion Sebron creating for him? Like kind of an interesting decision to me too. Go go ahead, Maxwell. Yeah, yeah, gonna, yeah. I was, I was gonna surprised. I was just gonna say that um Steven brought up a lot of good points right there. I think with Terquavion Smith, what, what you're gonna talk about, you're gonna I'm assuming you're gonna talk about more of the size equation. The thing with some of these smaller guards, and when I say smaller, he's not like small, small, right? He's six no, he's four, six four, yeah. But he does have game-changing speed. Yeah. And when when you yeah. talk about combining that speed with his perimeter shooting ability, I, I understand Steven wanting to see him round out the rest of his game, as do I, with the lovely soliloquy that I gave a few minutes ago. I want to see more from more parts of his game. But that combination, Maxwell generally does see a, a good to great amount of success in the NBA if you can mesh those two things together. So I think he has a base that not a lot of other guards in the country have, and that's what props him up still in this conversation. But if he doesn't come along in some of those other areas, right? If if he is truly a non-factor defensively, if he never becomes a better well-rounded threat in the paint, if he doesn't master more of making multiple progressions and reads in the pick and roll and being able to make more complex passing decisions, if none of those things come along for him, he could fizzle out pretty quickly in the NBA. He, he could make a team who takes him in the first round, you know, look a little foolish if they take him over some of these other wings and forwards and bigs that we either have talked about on this podcast already or inevitably will talk about on this podcast. Yeah, so I I feel like there was a weird just like wave behind Turquavion and now like the wave has crashed. Like it felt like there was a period before the draft where all of a sudden everyone's like, you know, Turquavion should actually go lottery. And then he pulled out of the draft and now like, there's just been this cooling period. And now there's still being like, I, I, he's like not mocked in the first round for me. Yeah. It's, like it it's feels really like, funny how that's very happens. bizarre. Cause I, so going into the last draft, I actually had a second round grade on him before he pulled out. Like I thought he should have gone because the Intel, it was really good. Like every yeah. report about him as a person that you hear is very good. Um, and he had a good showing at the combine and it seemed like he was going to go in the first round. So like, I would not have begrudged him for staying in, even though that was a great, I had on him because it seemed like that's what was going to happen. He came back, he stayed at NC state, which is interesting. Um, cause yep. there's not a ton of talent there, which is going to nope. make it difficult when your distribution is something a lot of people are going to be looking at. Uh, but I still feel pretty optimistic about Traquavion overall. He he is in my top 30 heading into the year. Um, down the stretch, he actually did have a two-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio over the last 10 games of the season, uh, which like, I really like to look at the last 10 games for freshmen. I think it's very interesting to see if once you got acclimated to the college game, where did you kind of settle out? Um, to your point, though, I think I think Nathan, you're spot on about as far as progression and making reads and things like that. He can just make the basic passes right now. He's never mm -hmm. going to make a pass that really knocks your socks off. But 
to, to your point as well about his athleticism, when you have that kind of first step and you have that kind of vertical pop, sometimes it's all you need. And it's a lot easier to get those basic reads yep. when you can just create an advantage out of thin air like he can. Uh, he graded out really well as an isolation scorer on Synergy. He was in the 90th percentile on ISOs. Uh, and I think that there's like a sneaky good off ball projection with him too. 86 percentile, no dribble jumpers, 87th percentile catch and shoot. Like he's not just a gunner who's going to play with the ball in his hands all the time. Um, my concerns really just inside the arc scoring. Uh, he has this first step. He has this vertical bounce, but if he's not going to finish at the rim, how valuable is that? And I so- do think he's going to get stronger. So that's that's where the Jordan Poole type of comparison would fall mm-hmm. off because Jordan Poole yeah, yeah, yeah. never had finishing problems in college and he hasn't had them in the NBA. Now, obviously, he loves the perimeter shot more than going inside and slashing all the time, but he is a more than capable slasher, likely because he has a better body. He's built better than Jaquavion probably ever will be. But in terms of the finishing, I, I mentioned something that, that I know is just about the angles that he attacks at. What are some of your thoughts uh, about his finishing? Do you think there is legitimate room for improvement? There is. I think part of it is just getting stronger, which he will do. Like, I firmly believe everybody's going to get stronger. And I hate when people are like, actually, because of his shoulders. And it's, it's no, 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 no. <laughs> They're all going to get stronger. Like, if somebody who's like into like weightlifting and stuff is a hobby, everybody can get stronger. I do not care what your shoulders <laughs> look like. If you work out and you eat properly, you will get stronger period point blank it drives me nuts and people are like this guy's body type actually won't happen no you're wrong you don't know what you're talking about um what about the biomechanics maxwell <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> so so yeah with him the angles are an issue um but it also just seems to be like a confidence thing around the rim because like he really does shy away from contact and yeah i i think the angles are almost the bigger issue because it does seem like sort of a thing where it's like, I'm going to go in a straight line because I have the straight line. And then somebody turns up around the rim and then he's like sort of drifting off to the side instead of just going straight to the basket. And that kind of stuff where it's just, I don't know, it, it needs to be cleaned up. But I think strength and confidence are the two things that would really help him the most just to get those, those better looks. Steven, if you had to make a, uh, to finish on Traquavion, if you had to make a bet, whether he's more likely to be a starter or a sixth man, in the NBA, which, which side you lean in? Because I think that that's the part of the conversation that really controls his draft stock. Cause if he is only a six man, it's, it's sometimes really hard to find those guys. Yeah. But if you're looking for one in the draft, how high are you going to spend a draft pick on somebody like that? Who's not likely to be a starter. Well, right now I have him 15th on my board coming into the year, and I would probably feel more comfortable in the immediacy with him as a sixth man. So it really just depends on your team. I mean, we're seeing guys like Tyler Hero and Jordan Poole, you know, all all getting paid uh, to be very potent six-man creators, and I don't think that that trend is going to go down any soon. Even Brandon Clark, who doesn't get a lot of burn for Memphis, just got got an extension today as well. So. I mean, if you're comfortable and you know what his skill set is and you know what he's bringing to your team is something you need, like obviously draft him um, if you feel like you need him and you value him. But I don't know. I don't have a lottery grade on him yet, but he's like right outside it. So So let's move on to a prospect who attends Creighton, also going into his sophomore season. I am fascinated by mm. Arthur Kaluma, the six foot seven, 220 pound forward. We, we were not 
amongst, or at least in the group chat that I could notice, we weren't amongst some of the first at no ceilings to really be like, yo, this guy, he's going to freaking pop. Just watch. I, I think Tyler Metcalf would probably lay, lay claim to that um, from, yeah. from what I saw in the group chat. But nevertheless, when we get more time in the offseason to study somebody who we know is going to be a returner, all of a sudden, when you have more time to digest the film, you end up seeing more on that tape, right? When we're not under the pressure, under the gun to be like, oh, we got to get a 2022 grade on this guy. <laughs> Sometimes having more time is for the best. Mm-hmm. So he played in 31 games last year, started 30 of those games, 27 minutes a night, 10.4 points per game, 5.4 rebounds, 1.3 assists, shot 44% from the field, 26.5% from three-point range, 67% from the line, uh, 12.8 PER, 51.6 true shooting percentage. None of those numbers are going to stand out and be like, why are you talking about this guy as he could challenge in like the top 20 uh, of the first round? Why are we putting him in that conversation? Great question. I'm glad you asked. Versatile two-way forward who could play an efficient role in the NBA. I really like his defensive ability. He plays mm. with his hands up. He doesn't bite or get himself in poor foul positions. Uh, times his plays at the ball well, slides his feet, and keeps guys in front of him by playing angles. He has a powerful frame. Guys bounce off of him, not the other way around. He's an intelligent cutter and play finisher on the offensive side, positions himself well off the ball and reacts to what the defense gives him. He takes advantage of any and all open lanes to the basket, loves taking his man off the dribble and using his long strides and strength to bully and finesse his way to the rim, or he has a soft touch on runners, hooks, and layups. Footwork on turns and pivots is there for him as well. He's an improving jump shooter who loves taking the open catch-and-shoot three, can stop on a dime in transition and pop one as well, Good base on his shot. Could stand, I think, to bring the ball up from a higher point, and he needs to continue working to, to flick that wrist a little better and hold that follow-through. That's that's where I think he could get a little more consistency there. He has all of the tools to be a complementary forward in the NBA where he could stand to separate himself as if he starts creating jumpers off the dribble to add versatility to his perimeter arsenal. He has a lot of the set-up set up footwork already, can he improve his handle, gather, and comfort level on those looks to turn into a legitimate three-level scoring threat? And with that development, obviously continuing to tweak those shooting mechanics to become more efficient from distance. So Maxwell, I laid out an interesting outline for a player who fits the archetype of what every single NBA team is looking for. I have a little bit of a comp. I don't know if it's an on-base okay. comp for you. I don't know if it's an off-base comp. I see a lot of OGN and Obi there to, to mm. his game. That's the type of player that I see with him. Another one of these guys who is versatile on the defensive side of the ball. He loves uh, being a pest on that side. He can rebound for his position. He can hit open threes. He can, he has all the tools to score around the basket. But OG has never been that self-creator type guy that the Raptors have been looking for in like a secondary option like if Pascal Siakam's your first option, they thought that OG Ananobi might be the second option. He hasn't quite been that. He's been more of a 3 and D guy at the NBA level. I think I see more of that future for Kaluma Maxwell, but I'm curious to get your thoughts on that comp and really what you see uh, his developmental track being when after this year at Creighton. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I... I think that's possible. I think if I'm, I want to pull up some OG stuff real quick, just from like his time in college. Sure. Cause yeah, he wasn't like a crazy playmaker in college. Um, 
But I think what I really liked with Kaluma that I saw over the summer, uh, like in his FIBA play, is it seems like this the speed of the game is something he's getting so much more comfortable with. Yeah. And I think that's sort of how we've seen OG's career play out is we've seen him sort of blossom as a playmaker as he just gets more and more comfortable on the floor. Seasons where he's you know playing the entire time, no injuries, everything like that. He's really kind of getting his legs under him. I definitely think that's a possibility, especially when you're talking like frame, build, power, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, and just the signs of the, the footwork and things like yeah, that. That's, that that's the key really developed, And the Kalum is really developed. So I think the, the biggest things that, I've seen from Kaluma and what I'm looking forward to as far as like taking a step forward this season is that uh, in FIBA play, he's using a lot more counter moves to get to where he wants on the court. He's being so much more patient on the perimeter in college. He took some tough shots and he didn't always hit them. Uh, But now he's getting himself better looks and some of those tough shots are falling more consistently. Uh, But just in terms of his handle, his pace, his hesitation, uh, things like that, they all look better. And I thought his balance defensively looked a lot better in international play too. And we saw stretches of that down the season. But I think there's a good chance that he comes out of this year as just a guy who's 6'7", who can consistently shoot off the catch, and who's able to get to his spots on the court when he drives. And that's that's the modern NBA. That's what you're looking for, is a guy who can do that comfortably defend a few positions. 100%. I mean, Steven, I, I look at where I have his evaluation now. I can't imagine being much more down from how high I already am on him, on him currently. I don't think he falls out of the top 30 in this okay. draft. I don't think he's going to be one of those guys that falls out. I think he's pretty firmly in the first round conversation for me. What about you? Yeah, I have him pretty high up there right now. I have him 11th. Uh, I'm a big Ooh, believer of what I'm hearing pick. from this off season. Um, I, I, he just strikes me as like, a classic workhorse dude and I have a soft spot for these types of players and if you look at where he was as a freshman and when he got hot I think it speaks to the discipline that NBA front offices are showing now where it's not oh the guy got hot towards the end of the year and into the tournament let's go ahead and promise him a first round draft pick you know like there was a lot of concerns coming on throughout the entire season that's why there wasn't that significant buzz about him until later on in the year so you're looking at a guy who averaged 10 and 5 in an impressive rookie year, or excuse me, freshman year, and he's going into an offseason, and he's going to be surrounded by the types of players that should put him in the position to be successful as a returning player in NCAA basketball with the with the offensive scheme that I think that should translate to a pretty, you know, seamless offensive role for him if we're looking at him and his ideals version of himself. So I like his body control, I like his athleticism, very bursty. Uh, the shooting potential that he has, I'm a, I'm a really big fan of. I like how soft his hands are around the basket when he's not dunking it. You know, he does possess some really soft hands. Um, I would like to see his footwork consistency uh, get a little bit better. Uh, I would like to see him be a part of the offense in terms of moving the ball, not just being a play finisher. I think that the that his strength and that these counters that Maxwell was speaking to is going to leave some passing lanes open for teammates, you know, so is he going to be able to hit Shireman for, for an open three? Like that's going to be a little inside outside game between the two of those, I think would be something very fun to watch. And then isolation defense, you know, if he's going to be a player of this size and build and roll, he's got to be able to lock up guys on the wing. So how about this for a player comp, Nathan? I think he's kind of younger and he's got some things that he has to improve to get to this point. But kind of that trajectory, I look at a little bit of like a Kyle Kuzma type player 
with Arthur Kaluma. And I think that he could fill that role as like a def- nice defensive minded wing who can space the floor and do a little creation, but he's going to look best whenever he's slashing at the basket. That's what I look at when I see him. I see where you're going with that comp. And I think they fall into similar buckets, these complimentary forwards who at their best, they're kind of helping everyone else do their job more efficiently by space in the floor, by being an active cutter, by being a transition guy, by defending not just their position that they're starting at, but multiple positions mm-hmm. on the floor. And NBA teams need more of those guys. They always need more of those guys. So that's why I, I can't see him falling in the first round. Let's go to another prospect who I think, at least for Steven, might be a little bit of an enigma. Yeah. Deron Holmes out of Dayton, the six foot 10, 225 pound big man, will also be going into his sophomore season. Played 35 games, started in all 35 of those games, played 31 minutes a night. 12.8 points per game, 6.1 rebounds, shot 65% from the field, uh, was 2.3 blocks per game, 24.8 PER, and a 64.4 true, shoot, true shooting percentage. So bouncy, big finisher who lives around the basket, right? I think he's got good footwork rolling to the basket. He's a coordinated finisher. He's very athletic for his size. He runs the floor well for a big man. He's a power dunker first, but I think he's got a little more than that. He can finish some reverses and tough layups, and I think he has a legitimate post game to work with going over either shoulder. Um, He showed a a few signs of life scoring away from the basket, but obviously that's like a ginormous question mark for him. What can be further developed there? He only shot 14% from the three-point line last year, but you combine the high-level finishing package with his size, his length, his athleticism, I think he's going to continue to be one of the best shot blockers we have in all of college basketball. If he can show a little bit more defensive versatility, given some of what I outlined, if he can be a great rebounder, not just a good rebounder, and if he can show more offensive signs of life away from the basket, I think he his, his stock could climb in a hurry. Even if those things don't necessarily come around for him, Stephen, I want to go to you because I know that you have more questions about him than answers, and maybe Maxwell and I can help answer some of those questions. I think either way you slice it, he's one of these types of bigs who just seems to be taken in the NBA draft, especially given his athletic profile. He moves well up and down the floor. He's not a plotter these types of guys just end up having jobs in the league. So what what are some of the questions that you have about Holmes that, that gives you a little trouble in his valuation? Yeah, so the, the things that I like, man, like obviously the size, you have to start with that, especially if you're looking at a guy who can give you some minutes at the four, maybe even some five. At he the is NBA. long, man. He's got the length. He's got the, just the standstill stature that you like to see. He moves very well. I, I like his size to finesse ratio and size in, in his handle too, like positional handle. I like a lot. That, that's a new equation we need to use more of on, on draft deeper. The size to finesse ratio. The size like to one. finesse ratio. <laughs> like he he moves very well for his body. To, as Maxwell would say, the, the biomechanics that he possesses <laughs> for, for, for his frame is, is otherworldly, right? And because of that, he can give you some unique finishes around the basket and his awareness as a shot blocker too is very intriguing it's just nathan i he look the nba is going to players like this so i know that he is going to be on draft radars but there's a skill aspect of it too like the shooting 
the the decision making like if you're going to be this kind of like big engine for your team you have to be a good decision maker and you have to convert on open shots like that's just the way that it's got to be and i just need to see it i kind of have him in a range on my board where i'm just like i gotta see it like i understand the concept of you but he's just one of these guys that i gotta see and based on the film that i watch uh in his last year i know that he's going to improve in some aspects i just i need to see it and I'm going to be honest, I'm more interested in his teammate, uh, Kobe Bray, a little bit more. But um, Hey, one, one of the draft deeper sleeper guys. I love it. I, I'm very much interested in Kobe. But again, Duran is just like, he he's just got the look factor that NBA teams are, are, are drawn to. So I just have concerns on like the, the conversion aspect, you know, the, the decision making and the scoring. Maxwell, he to to Stephen's point, he's going to be playing at an incredibly talented Dayton team mm-hmm. this year. Like I, I love like four or five, six of those guys They're on deep. that team. Yeah. Like they they have legitimate, legitimate NBA potential on that squad. Past Deron Holmes, I do think Holmes is ultimately their best prospect. But Bray is a sleeper that we can talk about. Uh, Kamara is a prospect that that can be oh. mentioned in sleeper conversations. There, there's a few interesting guys on the team but what do you like and dislike about deron holmes or where, where are you kind of at on this game right now yeah so i was tweaking with my board the other day and he's right at 30 for me right okay. now and it's funny because i i messaged you the other day when you mentioned deron holmes is like a guy that we were in a cover in the series initially i was like is, is you like put him in as a sure thing and i was like a sure thing and then like i went back in the film and i'm like yeah he's he's a sure thing um maybe really maybe it's like not him that's like i i classify as a sure thing but like the 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 type of player that he is yeah just always seems to be like a sure thing in draft circles he's he's very big he is very fast yeah. um and i think my favorite thing about him is he's just active on the offensive end kind of like ishmael kamagate last season which oh, is the one dude who's always moving on that end of the floor um the other thing i i really like about his game is I don't buy the shot. I don't think he's going to be shooting at least immediately or in the near future, but he's going to space the floor as a passer and a handoff guy. Uh, and something I loved was in one of the games I watched the other day, he, they were running a handoff set and the, his man came up on him and he just turned the corner and burned him. Like there's not a lot of big guys that have that. I'm going to turn the corner and burn you speed. That can also do such a good job of like, finding cutters and really orchestrating the offense. So I think that's a huge, huge asset to his game is that he's not only this monster's finisher, but there's going to be a lot of versatility in terms of how you use him. He's not just going to be a pick and roll guy who strictly dives to the rim. You can run short rolls. He can run the offense through handoffs. Uh, He can, he can really find guys at the top of the key. Um, I also really like how he guards down. His technique is good. Uh, Can stay low in a stance very light on his feet um yeah my my main concern with him is really just um some some little things i think he can be a little uncoordinated with his feet at times it reminds me of another guy from last year like a khalifa job at times like he just like run way past somebody when he didn't need to and it just felt like his footwork could be a little clunky and he does I, get a- i, I want to see more of that footwork come to light that that very issue you just brought up Mm -hmm. i want to see more of that on the defensive end because everything else about him suggests that like maybe not the the switchiest i'm not saying he's like the next bam out of bio but i think he should be able to switch Mm -hmm. in the nba just given everything else about him i'm not confident though in saying that he can like i would project him more right now to be a drop big 
Mm -hmm. I think he can be more than that, but we need to see that. So my issue with him in drop coverage is I also felt like there were times where he would be set up to play a drop, but he would be way too committed to covering the hand. Like he'd be way too committed to the guy and he'd give up easy lobs because it's like, no, no, no. Like you're supposed to be in a drop. You don't need to, to play that far out of position to stop the ball handler. And now he just threw a lob pass over you. Like there's just little technical things. And these aren't the end of the world. And when you have his kind of physical tools, I think this is stuff that part of it's going to come with experience too. That, that's coaching. I think that needs to take place yeah, too. Like that's, that's one, when he gets in the, the NBA the for a full year, he's not going to be doing that. So no, no. So I just think between the size athleticism, activity level work rate uh passing ability upside to switch like the, there's just not a lot of big guys that have all of those things uh so even if i'm concerned about the shot i i like him better than i liked a guy like walker kessler last year where it's like i know he can finish i know he can block shots but i don't really trust him at all as a decision maker mm-hmm. or a passer or any of that stuff so like i Movement. i'm really intrigued yeah. for him those are i wish of, it, oh go ahead i could i could stand for him to be and I know that he will, right? But like, I just wish he played a little stronger too on For the sure, defensive yeah. side of the ball. You know, like that's that's really if he's going to commit, like, be that switchable big in the NBA, got to be stronger in the paint. Like, absolutely has to be. No, I agree with that point 100%. I think some of that comes along with him just developing and maturing yeah. physically, which I think will will continue to take place for him, which that's good news. That's something he can continue to work on and, and grow into. His shoulders, though, I don't... No, no. (laughs) (laughs) So those those were three prospects who I think have some more upside to be tapped into, into this group. There are some other guys that I do want to spend a little bit of time on, and then we'll do some of the rapid fire through those other 10 names. Somebody who... I don't know how much, quote-unquote, upside he has, but I think he has a tailor-made role in the NBA would be Julian Strother. The Gonzaga wing, six foot seven, two hundred five pounds, going into his junior year, eleven point eight points per game, five point four rebounds, one assist, almost fifty percent from the field, almost thirty seven percent from three point range, basically seventy one percent from the free throw line, zero point seven stocks, zero point eight turnovers, eighteen point seven per. I do love a sixty one and a half true shooting percentage for a wing. <laughs> Who <doesn't>? I, <laughs> I I love that. So he is a role player at the wing spot. Every sense of that phrase, that's exactly who he is. He makes the little hustle plays to, to help make everyone else's job easier. He loves to spot up from distance, cut along the baseline, come off screens, can work off DHOs when he has a straight line drive to the basket. Better shooter than given credit for. I love how balanced he is on his shot and the range he has. He would really make some NBA-level shots each game for Gonzaga. I'd, mm-hmm. I'd take a look at some of the jumpers who's taking and be like, yeah, that's going to work in the NBA. That's what he needs to do. Tough defender with size and length to guard multiple positions, likely guarding twos and threes at the next level initially. But I think he's someone who should be able to hold his own and pinch his guard in the one and the four spots as well. He's a good rebounder for his position. He's got a nose for the rock on the offensive glass. Steven, is there more though to unlock with his offensive game? What would his decision-making look like in an expanded role? Can he maintain his scoring efficiency with higher volume? Does he have the bag? to reach into in order to create tougher shots one-on-one like is there more to tap into offensively or should we just be really happy with the player we see right now and consider him for a first round grade as long as the production continues to bear out this year 
I never want to say that a player is ever done improving, right? Because I think that you can improve in even in the areas that you're good at, right? Like in your accuracy, your efficiency, like maybe even some more like movement shooting would would be something that we could stand to see from him. But overall, from what I've seen, I don't think that the handle is going to get there. I think that's why he's kind of remained a role player despite like elevating in class over the past couple of seasons. I don't think that he has like the the creativity with the rock in his hand either from whenever he is getting those opportunities to dribble. It's very straight line stuff, which again, like if you're going to be a connector in the NBA, that's fine. As long as you know where the next guy is supposed to be and you can get the ball there, that's all you got to do. Like not everybody needs to be able to break guys down off the dribble. The the defensive side of the ball is actually one that I'm a little bit more troubled with uh, seeing translating well to the NBA. When you watch him at Gonzaga, like he's had the benefit of playing alongside some very talented defensive guys. Like obviously guys like Chet Holmgren makes everybody look better on that side of the ball. Sure. But if you but if you watch him in isolation style defense against some of the better competition uh, in his conference, he does have a tendency to kind of let guys go by him. Um, he's a good team defender, which again, if you're going to be a, a, a sniper for a team, you better be able to play at least team defense and be trusted to help at least cover down a rotation. So I think that Strother can do that. I have him at 27th right now on my board, which I he kind of reminds me a little bit of like uh, Jordan Wara out of Louisville whenever he came out, right? I think that I like him as a rebounder, as a shooter, and as a connector on the offensive side of the ball. And you can serve a pretty value, valuable role on a team. Um, with a skill set like that. So I like him as a returner. I just don't, I think that what we see is what we're getting. But again, like efficiency, getting a little bit better off of off ball movement shooting would be an area that I think that is very realistic for him to grow at um, this year at Gonzaga. Maxwell, obviously plug your thoughts about the the span of his game, but specifically on the defensive side, I heard you kind of nod your head in agreement with Steven if he's not there for you defensively, what are some of the ways you think he can show to improve this year and then maybe get there on the defensive side with Gonzaga? Yeah, I think he's got to get quicker. I think okay. he looks slow on the defensive side of the ball. Um, he really tells on himself uh, whenever it's like an isolation setting because he will sag very far off of his man. And like in a, even in situations where he's guarding a screener, like he is looking to play like a deep drop if yep. he's guarding somebody who's, who's setting a pick and a pick and roll. Um, he's just not very quick to stop drives. He he's okay with his feet, but he just looks heavy uh, laterally. I think like, and that's something that I, I think you can work on like relatively easily, but that's just the biggest thing for me is part of me worries that, he's not like a target at the college level. Like no teams right. are like, Oh, we got to go pick on Julian Strother. But I do worry at the next level. Like, is he a guy in a playoff setting? The teams would be like, I like a cam Johnson type. You know what I mean? Where it's like, Oh, we're able to play Davis Bertans like, because cam Johnson's not really going to cook him. And like, he's not like a lockdown guy really defensively. I, I that's, that's kind of my concern is just, are better, more athletic players going to be able to exploit him or is he going to allow them to just get off too good of looks because he's sagging really far back? Um, Offensively though, I like just about everything about him as a role player. He is a supreme cutter, like very, very good at finding Mm -hmm. holes in the defense. I do by the movement shooting, there were flashes of him hitting off of just like my minor relocation and things like that over this past season, 96 percentile off screen. So he can hit off a movement. 
he can get to the rim uh great rebounder big fan of his rebounding i just like defensively like that to me is like what's going to really swing his upside because even if i end the year thinking he can just be an okay defender in the nba i would like absolutely take him near the lottery but right now he he to me projects to be a subpar defender i just don't think given his lack of quickness and vertical pop i just don't really see like a great role for him on that side of the ball i don't see him being above average in the nba defensively which makes sense. I mean, at the end of the day, we're we're projecting him to be a role player, and and even in projecting him to be a role player, this doesn't mean he has to be a starter. No, he can no, be no. like a seventh, eighth, ninth man right. coming off the bench, play his role for 14, 18 minutes a night, and help bring home wins for for his NBA team. And I think that's that's a lot of what some of these Gonzaga guys are being conditioned to do. Some better than others. The the last pause that I sort of have on Strother before we move on is I loved another Gonzaga guy who did quite literally all the same things in Joel Iyai. And maybe Strother succeeds because Strother is four inches taller, albeit I don't, I don't know if he's longer. I think Iyai might actually have him beat in, in the wingspan. Iyai was only like six, three, six, four. He's like a long ass guard. Right. Mm -hmm. But despite the height difference, their games are essentially the same thing. Maybe Strother's a little bit better of a shooter, but when we talk about the cutting, that. when we talk about the, the defensive the concerns, playmaking with the eyes, the guy was, was like a much deal, better though. passer. Than, he could dribble too. Yeah. So if, if a Yai can't hold on to a job, I find it hard to believe that it's only because of his size and some of the defensive concerns. I just, I don't know. I don't know if Strother's going to fit in with the NBA team definitely in, in a better way. And that's what gives me cause to pause. Steven, it looked like you had a comment to make about that. No, I was just going to say the passing is what I loved about it. Yeah, yeah. I had him kind of in a similar range. It's oh, he was a triple-double threat each night at Gonzaga. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and it, again, like late first-round pick for me because I, I like high IQ basketball players, and that's what a yeah, he was. So, again, for Strother, like he can improve, and I, I wouldn't – Put it past them. I mean, we're talking preseason expectations based on the evidence that we have put presented before us. This is just where I have him. If he's out there, like making you know great reads and is averaging you know you know two and a half, three and a half assists a game, I think that that would be something that I would consider as potential for him rising up my board. It was an improved playmaking. Speaking is that going to of- happen though? Like just real quick, like you've got Malachi Smith in there now, like who's pretty ball dominant as like a bully guard. You're going to have Nolan Hickman getting more on all on Salas still going to be running the offense through Timmy it, a ton. I think like, it depends I just, what, really what do you consider playmaking improvements? Like it, I think what could happen is he, he continues to improve his quick decision-making right. And that balls like when he's on a drive and he catches and he has to redirect, like that ball flies out of his hands. Like those types That's of passes great, yeah. I think can be more there for him, but the, the traditional on ball, like I'm going to take a few dribbles and I'm going to make the read and I'm going to like direct traffic for everybody else. Like, no, that that's not, those opportunities will not be there for him. Atkins, he's throwing lobs to Efton Reed. Then yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, that's one of those quick things. Like that can be like the hot potato coming to the balls coming out mm-hmm. of his hand. That's like he can I make want. those yeah. decisions. Yeah. And if he can do that, those are some of the opportunities I think he will have. Somebody who does need to make, improvements in the playmaking category in a more traditional sense 
would be Tyrese Hunter, the Texas guard, six foot, 175 pounds, 11 points per game last year, three and a half rebounds, 4.9 assists, only shot 39% from the field, 27% from three, 69% from the line, did have two steals per game, 3.2 turnovers, only a 14.1 PER, and a stinky 47 and a half true shooting percentage. That That's not great. That's that's not great for anybody. He's he's a much more athletic guard than given credit for it. That man can get off the ground. He can dunk it. He wants to slam it home over anyone. He's built well for himself despite the lack of height. He looks to have a plus wingspan, which helps him, especially on the defensive end. He does balance scoring and distributing the ball. I think he's a capable pick-and-roll playmaker who he, he, he can whip the ball around off the right read. He's a hound of a defensive guard. He harasses his matchups. He slides his feet wall, plays defense with his hips and his feet rather than his hands. And when he has the opening, he can use those quick hands to smack the ball away and get the steal transition opportunity where he's a major threat given his speed and his verticality. He does have to work on improving the handle and having a better command over it. The dribble can be a little loose at times, which is problematic for getting through traffic. All of those things, though. So the majority of what I just said, good in his favor. It's it's the scoring. It's the scoring. It's the shooting. It's all of it. He has to be much more efficient than he was. And Maxwell, I thought he would create some good looks for himself last year. He just could not <laughs> knock a lot of them down. And it was a major problem for that Iowa State offense. Now he's coming into a Texas program where He's going to be playing alongside Marcus Carr. He's going to be playing alongside some other talented players on that Texas team. Another point guard in Ontario Morris, who if everything turns out right for him, could give Tyrese Hunter a run for his money as far as, no, I think coach would rather have the ball in my hands because I actually know what to do with it when it comes from a scoring perspective. And I can knock those shots down. I still want to be in on Tyrese Hunter. He's got a lot of work to do, though, to prove everybody that he's worth a draft pick. Not, not, not even just like a first-round pick, which I, I think that the absolute best-case outcome of Tyrese Hunter could challenge some names in the lottery. But that's like that's really far away right now, and he yeah. has to hold on to a draft spot, especially given his size. So I, I have no idea where you're at on Mr. Hunter, but... Well, t- tell us where you're at. Yeah, so I have him like just outside draftable range, which mm-hmm. is okay. So there you go. So I I was right in 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 leading with yeah, that. Yeah, we're, we're I, talking about he's got to hang on to a draft spot. Which like I I'm glad because I was like I've heard you mentioned before that like you think he has lottery upside, and I was like real worried I was gonna have to come on here and be like the big downer on Tyrese Hunter. But yeah, like I he's a small guard who shot less than 40% from the field in college. And it's extremely difficult for small guards to stick, uh, especially when you really can't shoot from the outside. I do think that if he does get to a respectable level from three, which I'm not convinced is going to happen in one season, uh, it could really open things up for him because he's very quick getting downhill. Uh, He can like, obviously, yeah, he does force it with passing at times, but he can be pretty creative. Um, and he can like split a screen effectively. He catches onto patterns really quickly in the game against Miami, uh, in the tournament two times in a row, Sam Wardenberg, like went way too wide, uh, in pick and roll coverage. And he just split the seam right to the rim two straight times in a row, caught it, saw they were giving it to him again, took it again. 
he's a dog. Like he really sees things and gets after him. Awesome with his hands on defense. Uh, I, I do kind of buy his vision more than the numbers suggest. I think he's just got to be a little more restrained. And I'd always rather have the guy that I know can do stuff that just needs to scale it back a little bit. Um, still, I think he more so than with the passing, like bites off more than he can chew, trying to prove he can be a tough shot maker. And there are some rough misses, even on the more simple shots from long range that like, to me, I, I'd almost rather him just take two years. Like I, I don't want to put like the burden of expectation on him uh, to be like, Oh, you know, Tyrese Hunter, he's really got to prove it this year. Like th- let's not rush this guy. If it comes this year. Awesome. He's a very fun player. Uh, he's, because of his defense, I think if the outside shot does get there, he is this type of small guard that could stick because he's going to play really good defense on the other team's ball handler. Uh, but at the same time, I, I just think too much of his offensive game depends on getting downhill. And when NBA athletes are able to sag off of him, I, I just don't really know what he does in a half-court offense at all at the NBA level right now. Steven, when, when Corey and I watched him in person – Last year, we were at one of the classics in at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, and we watched Iowa State play Xavier. And we had heard about Mr. Tyrese Hunter from good friend of the program, Simon Rath, yep. who was really trying to plug him up for, for his freshman season. I watched him, and I'm like, man, the best version of this guy looks like what Donovan Mitchell looked like on a good day at Louisville. Like the best version of this guy. When he's out there, when he's making these dribble pull-up jumpers when he's getting everybody else involved in the passing attack, when he's playing that houndish point of attack defense, like he has real talent, but I think it's more so it's all of it coming together at once that maybe what Maxwell just talked about, maybe let's not have the expectation to force everything to come together for him. Maybe we need to just take it year by year and see steady improvements category by category to where maybe he's a senior in college and he brings the full package together, and we're looking at him in a much more draftable range than we were. Maybe that has to happen for him. Or maybe it's not just some of the long-range shooting that comes around. Maybe it's more the mid-range. Like I I think he can really create a lot of good mid-range shots. It's just maybe it's, it's the times at which he picks to take those shots that needs to improve, like Maxwell talked about. Maybe it's more of his jump shot technique. That needs to change and come around. How, how do you feel about his game and where, where are you at on him right now? I just, I think it's all of it. I think you guys touch on basically every area of concern that I have with that, with Tyrese, because if you look at the athlete that he is, the speed that he possesses and the dog that he is on the defensive side of the ball. Like if he could just show any sort of semblance of offensive consistency, you're, you're talking about a completely different player. I mean, look at Kennedy Chandler, kind of similar, like not as much of a burner, but a guy that you were worried about as a three-point shooter over the season gradually improved his three-point numbers. He is an undersized guard that had good vision, right? He played with pace. He could shift gears. Like, those are things that we're not seeing with Hunter. He seems like a guy who only wants to play at one speed all, all game long. And as much as we can praise, you know, these pesky guards that get up in your grill on the defensive side of the ball and or just go, 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 like, you have to be able to play with pace if you're going to be an NBA guard. And that's something that we got to see from Hunter. I think playing at Texas with a few other guards, some athletic forwards and and bigs on your team, like he's going to have more athletic talent around him at Texas than he did at Iowa State. So hopefully that helps with the efficiency numbers and like the 
the assist to turnover ratio, things like that. But he's just kind of an enigma, man. Like I have him at 41 just because I believe in the, in the athleticism and the point of attack level defense. And I want to buy into him returning that he will improve in a lot of these areas with more talent around him. It's just, he's in that wait and see range for me because a lot of the same reasons that you guys just pointed out. This last guy that we can talk about in this section of the podcast, I'm curious to see if we're in wait and see mode with him or if we're, we're, we're jumping all all aboard. We're, we're getting ready to crash the bandwagon. So Chris Murray brother of just drafted Keegan Murray at Iowa, the six foot eight, 225 pound junior forward uh, played in 35 games last year, only started one game. He was a bench weapon for the Iowa Hawkeyes, 9.7 points per game, 4.3 rebounds, almost 48% from the field, 39% from three point range, 65% from the line, a 1.7 stocks, a 26.1 PER and a more limited role and a 57.6 true shooting percentage. So, He's not as cerebral of a defender as Keegan, but in limited film, he looked to possibly have, in my opinion, better instincts and quicker feet defending on the ball. That's Mm. my opinion. I don't think he has the off-ball stuff that Keegan had. I don't think he's quite the same type of defensive playmaker that Keegan was. Those are the things that separated him. I want to see more of that on the defensive side of the ball. Offensively, again, more limited than Keegan but he's a good finisher around the basket. He's a lefty wing who can lay it in in traffic and dunk over defenders. He isn't ambidextrous like Keegan, and he doesn't have the same post-up game. He's much more of a face-up threat, but I think he is a really good three-point threat and will continue to be so for the Hawkeyes. He's got a smooth one-motion stroke, incredibly comfortable on the catch. It wouldn't surprise me to see him over 40% from three this season. He's a set shooter or a line drive shot maker who doesn't have the wiggle or the handle to create better off the bounce. I trust Keegan way more with those things and as a mid-range scorer compared to Chris. Um, He is a solid rebounder for his position. At worst, I think he's a 3 and D prospect who understands how to play the game on both ends, but could have a higher ceiling depending on what more he can show this year from a creativity standpoint. Steven, do you think he's going to show more this year at Iowa? And even if he doesn't, What's sort of the baseline in the range where you have him right now on your board? Yeah, so it's really weird hearing you talk about the defense the way you did because I felt the exact opposite. I kind of trust him more as like a help defender and team defender as opposed to an isolation guy. Like in a lot of the isolation that I saw, he had a tendency to get beaten off the dribble pretty quickly. Um, So that's an area that I think that has to be improved, and I think that it will. Um, getting switched on to some of the point guards in his conference, I thought that gave him a little bit of trouble. So he has to understand uh, how to how to play with angles and and really get ahead of the the offensive guy um, before before the offense is set up right. Like basically forcing them to a direction instead of playing them center. Um, I felt it was a, an area that he kind of that he had issues with a lot. Now as a shooter help defense and he does show some stimulus of being able to take some guys off the bounce i kind of like him in that mid post uh position on the offensive side of the ball and playing with size i like him a lot i kind of have him in like the late teens early 20s range right now on my board coming into the season that's that's a range that i think could be comfortable for him throughout this process especially if he embraces being a starter and, and really a leader on that iowa squad what, what do you think about his game maxwell yeah, I like him. I like him as a complimentary player 
first and foremost. I think that he's obviously a really good shooter off the catch. Uh, he does a very good job of killing mismatches too. Like if you put a smaller guy on him, he knows to just get him on the block and feast on him. Um, I like his energy on defense. I actually kind of like him better off the ball than I do on it. I thought some of the points that Steven had about like not forcing guys in a given direction is true. Like he looks worse laterally than he is at times. Mm-hmm. Just because like counter moves and things like that, like kind of give him trouble because he just tries to stay center on everybody. Um, his basic driving game too to attack closeouts is rock solid, which is exactly what you want from a guy who's a catch and shoot threat and has the bounce to finish inside. Um, little things too. I think that just some of the fouling that he had was a little frustrating. Um, he can have a really poor command of the ball at times as well. Like I just don't like, I've seen some people be like, he might really blow up the way Keegan did. And like, he's just so far removed. And like, obviously Keegan had just massive growth in terms of what he could do as a creator for himself from his freshman to his sophomore season. But Chris is a year older. And I just think that what we've already seen from him, as far as like his, his handle and ability to create space for himself, I just don't really see that in the cards for him, but I think given what he can do as an athlete, as a shooter, as a finisher, and just the way that he, he plays the game the right way and knowing this is how I can beat this guy. I can, I can get to this spot. If I do this very, just simple, solid understanding of the game. That's exactly what you want from a guy who is not going to have the ball all the time. And that's exactly why in in a very similar sense with somebody like uh, a a Strother right? Like yeah. these, these are role players who play important positions within the infrastructure of the NBA that give teams more lineup flexibility, more positional versatility. Like the, these are the types of guys that you want to have in your lineup, especially if they can hit open jumpers. And as Maxwell talked about with the attack and the closeouts, the straight line drives, that's what you want to see from some of these guys at the six, seven, six, eight, six, nine uh, size range. So I'm in agreement I, I think right now I would probably have him in like a first round range. I don't see him dropping too far from that. I think if, if for whatever reason he did drop outside of a top 30, I think he's like right there in like the, the 31 to 35 range. So he's, he's pretty snug in my opinion, along those, those top 30, top 35 guys. Okay. So those were six names that we talked about. The majority of those guys I think are in legitimate first round conversation there are plenty of other guys we're going to go through about 10 names here. Some of these guys, this is a range I want to go more rapid fire style through because I think the, the a lot of these guys are upperclassmen. We kind of know the, the real secret sauces to their games. Like what are they going to be bringing on an NBA floor? And really it's about what do we want to see from them this season? What are some of the questions we have? I think most of my responses for these guys actually are questions, but I'll, I'll share some of my thoughts and then we'll just keep popcorning it around what do you guys, what's one thing that you really want to see from each of these players? So Marcus Sasser, Houston six foot two guard going into his technically senior season. He missed a lot of last year with a toe injury. So only played in 12 games, but 17.7 points per game, 2.6 assists, 44% from the field, 44% from three point range, 74% from the line, 2.2 steals per game, 23.7 PER and a 60 true shooting percentage, which is excellent for a guard. What do I want to see? Can Sasser return from injury and maintain the shooting volume and consistency that he was able to show last year? And can more responsibility lead to better assertiveness on the offensive end? There were just a lot of times where I watched Sasser on film. I I didn't think he was aggressive enough. Mm. I think this guy is a legitimate, legitimate shot maker. 
And I want to see more of it at Houston. I want to see him be more aggressive. Steven, what are you looking for from Sasser? Yeah, I got a piece that's going to be coming out on him very soon over at NoSailingsNBA.com. So shout out to to the team there. I won't spoil too much because I want y'all to like actually read my piece. But uh, <laughs> one aspect of his uh, game that I wish that he would do more of is attack the basket. And whether if he needs a, a screen to do that or not, uh, I would just like to see more. It's because when he does it, he looks fine. You know, he's got a floater. He's got it. He's got a couple little tools in his bag that he can do. But um, maybe with the more talent around him this season compared to last, even though they don't have Fabian White Jr., who's one of my favorites last year, uh, I just want to see more aggression, like Nathan, how you're speaking to, but over more so to attacking the rim than just having to get up a, get a three-point shot. Yeah, Maxwell, what about you? What do you want to see from Marcus Sasser this year? Yeah, I just want to see a little more pace to his game with the ball in his hands. That's that's really it. I really buy the shot making. I think he, in terms of just pick and roll defense, probably the best point guard out there. If if we're just classifying him as point guard, um, I I kind of agree with Steven. I think he can do a good job when he gets downhill. I think that where he gets into trouble a lot of times, and this shows up in like turnover numbers too, he can get really sped up. And I think that if the shot isn't there at times, it's like you're good enough, man. Like you're good enough attacking you're good enough scoring that you don't need to rush with the ball especially mm-hmm. with your role on that team so i just like to see him be a little bit more patient mix in a little more hesitation and not get too sped up when he's got the ball mm. in his hands mike miles out of tcu I- interesting that he didn't stay in the draft last year i thought there was enough good positive buzz for him but nevertheless the six foot two 195 pound guard is back for his senior season at college 15.4 points per game in 31 games played, 3.8 assists, 38% for the field, 29.5% from three-point range, 75.9% from the free-throw line, 1.2 steals per game, 15.1 PER, and a 48.2 shooting percentage. Maybe me reading those numbers, if you're listening at home, maybe that's why he didn't stay in the draft last year. So what do I want to see? Can Mike Miles find a way to become a more efficient scorer inside the arc to better balance his repertoire in terms of scoring and distributing. And it's, yeah, it, it all comes back to the efficiency because Maxwell, when you watch the Mike Miles tape, there are mm. so many positive indicators just breaking down the film to be like, not only can he be a backup point guard in the NBA, but like he might have a shot as a starter, despite being the smaller guard. Like he does so many interesting th- things on film. What do you want to see from Mike Miles this year? Yeah, I think Mike Miles might have been the most hounded man in college basketball last season. Like the film, it's one of those things like you look at the numbers and it's like, oh, no way. And then you watch the film, it's like, oh, this guy's actually really good. I want to see him just be consistent as a shooter off the catch. Uh, obviously, I mean, you you talked about him scoring inside the arc more. I just want to see him knock down those shots off the catch again. He can hit it from NBA range. The shot looks pretty. It just didn't fall last season. He was 16th percentile in synergy on jump shots that were not off the dribble, no dribble jumpers. Uh, so I just want to see that from him. When he does get those easy ones, I just want to see him convert. Steven, what do you want to see from one of the most exciting players in college basketball? I mean, he and Marcus Sasser are so similar. Like I have a lot of the same kind of concerns carried over from one player to could, the other. Could you believe that those two are the exact same size and weight as listed by their team websites this year? Some something that's about funny. that seems off. Yeah. That that that's yeah. funny. Like I, I, I always trust the team TCU. websites because I, I I like to have the to be able to go back to someone credible for sharing those heights and weights that 
that was really funny to me. Sorry. I, I think TCU you know. is trying to game up and because I mean they play so much alike and, and they're in the same state too, right? But uh similarly to Marcus Sasser, Mike Miles, I would just like to see better shot variety. I want to see him get get tougher in the basket. He does have I think they're similar in the they both have a decent floater too when they get there. I don't mm-hmm. know why either one of them don't like to get to that so often like i understand that they don't necessarily have a size advantage or anything like that but you got touch and you're you're a big name in college ball like you're gonna get to the free throw line so like just just go after it go get it colby jones out of xavier the six foot six wing junior 11.6 points per game last year 7.3 rebounds 3.2 assists 48 percent from the field 29 percent from three-point range 68 percent from the line a steal and a half per game, two turnovers, 19 and a half PER, 55.6 true shooting percentage. He was talked about as more of a sleeper prospect last year. I think cat's out of the bag for him at this point. Enough people know about him to where we're going to be looking at him as, is he a top 45 guy in this upcoming NBA draft? What do I want to see from Colby Jones? Can Jones handle a higher usage secondary playmaking role within the offense and or improve his effectiveness on the corner three-point shot to prove He'll have a viable role offensively for an NBA team, right? Is he going to be that playmaker who can bail out some of the other guys on his team more consistently? If he's not that guy, can he be a shot maker in an area of the floor? Maybe it's not the corner three-point shooting. Maybe it's a different area on the floor, but can he have at least one to two areas on the floor where we know he's having a scoring impact offensively to where teams can respect him so that he can stay on the floor to capitalize on some of the awesome defense that he's capable of playing Maxwell. What do you want to see from Kobe Jones? Yeah, I really think the corner three, I was just going to say just knocking down threes consistently in general is like the one yep. thing at six, five that's holding him back. But I really think given his size, strength and athleticism, he might just need the corner three. I think it was John Rothstein that mentioned that at one of their practices, he's been playing the four. Mm. And like, when you look at how he competes and how he rebounds, it's, in the, at the college level, certainly it's it's a yep. viable option for him. But at the NBA, I think he's going to comfortably play the two and the three. I really trust him as a driver, as a passer. Uh, he has some great hesitation, clever pass fakes and things like that. Like, I think he can attack a closeout and get to his spots at the NBA level, but he's got to be a threat to get somebody to close out on him in the first place. Otherwise, the guys are not going to fly by. They're not going to come too aggressively at him. It's going to be very soft closeouts. So he needs to draw those hard closeouts. So the corner three, the corner is just a great place to park a guy like that. Yep. Uh, so the corner three is big, but just three-point shooting in general, too. It's 6'5", he needs it. I, I talk about the corner three enough because it's such an important spot on the floor to offer everybody else the spacing they need. Steven, what do you want to see from Colby Jones? Yeah, I mean, not to sound like a parrot in the room, but I mean, it, it's <laughs> it's the it's the corner three. It is, you know? yeah. You, you have to with everything that he does like he could he could still be effective without it right like we see guys like bruce brown and maybe is bruce brown going to be like the next guy that for with guys without shots that we just say he's just oh a yeah high here he guy. Is. like yeah let him be let him be bruce brown but i mean it listen if he's going to be a four man at, at xavier maybe we're going to see him in some awesome screen and roll stuff Who what knows? i'm talking about like if he can show good screening ability then why not but um he's got the slashing he's got the playmaking I mean, without the three-point shot, I mean, this guy could be Chris Douglas Roberts, who's still got some NBA playing time because of the playmaking, rebounding, defense, things like that. I mean, 
he could still enjoy a little bit of an NBA career, but without that three point shot, it's, it's going to be really hard for him to make an impact. That's a rough comp, but I know why you made it. So the, yeah. I, I, I hope he has a brighter future in the NBA than Chris Douglas Robinson. Although CDR, he had a, he had a professional yeah. career overseas. So he, he still played competitive basketball, but nevertheless, I think we have higher expectations for Colby Jones this year. Another player who I think we have relatively high expectations for at the very least from a college perspective, Jaime Jaquez, the UCLA wing, six foot seven, 225 pounds, played in 34 games last year, 13.9 points per game, 5.7 rebounds, 2.3 assists, 47% from the field, only 28% from three point range and 76% from the line. What do I want to see? Just that. How good of an outside shooter can Hawkes be? Because he's really creative off the bounce when he gets inside the arc. He's got the push shot. He's got the floater, the runner. He can post up on mismatches. He takes advantage of that really well in the block. He's he's a capable defender. I don't know how much I'm buying the defense at the next level. He's certainly competitive, right? I think he really has to shoot it. And he's got he's to prove he can shoot it well enough to hold on to more more than just like i'm gonna throw you in for 10 12 minutes a night i I think the shot really needs to be there for him some some people in no ceilings disagree with me steven some people in no ceilings think that like you gotta have jaime hawkins and like your top 20 guys like what are you doing they wanted to have jaime there like the entire draft cycle last year so maybe just just because i don't see it though that doesn't mean it's not there so what do you want to see from jaime hawkins yeah, I tried to keep making Jaime a thing because of the guys at no ceiling last year. But to me, it was it was really hard, man. Like even coming into the year, I have him at 49 on my board. And I would just say that it, I I trust the shot. The shot's not what gets me. It's the defense because I don't think that he's got NBA level athleticism. So he's got to have really sound fundamentals, um, especially if he's going to be guarding kind of like that 3-4, that tweener spot in the NBA. He's got to be prepared for NBA level athletes on the perimeter and around the basket. He he's very strong for a college basketball player, right? But how strong is he going to be at the next level when everybody is, is college basketball strong, right? So I don't know. He just kind of, he's, he's modeled as like a, he's good at everything in college basketball, which kind of leads me to, to wonder Maxwell, like, what is he going to be great at, at the next level? That's a great point. What do you want to see from a Maxwell? Yeah, Jaime's in the 20s for me. I'm I'm in on Jaime. Oh, you're one of those guys. I'm oh, one of those guys. Okay. I've we always need been, to have I've that. always been a Jaime guy. Uh I think Jaime is one of the smartest players in college hoops. I and I think that that's like the big thing with the defense. Like he just knows how to play guys. He doesn't get countered, he doesn't get baited. He's going to play solid fundamental defense. I think his calling card is going to be defense and effort and I know people are like, oh, effort, but it's like effort goes a long way. Like, look at Alex Caruso. Like, if you just know how to play on that side of the ball, and he's not, I don't think he's the level of defender Alex Caruso is, but but I do think it matters quite a bit. Um, offensively, I just think he's incredibly smart. For me, the question is, can he stay healthy? Uh, mm-hmm. The ankles were an absolute mess all year last season, and like it went from being sort of a secret to not a secret at all, and just something that during broadcast, like Bill Walton was like, pleading with Mick Cronin to pull him out of the game because of how hobbled he was. And he just kept playing on his bad ankles. Uh, Cause I, the year before he hit his outside shots. I think he's capable of doing yeah. it to me. It's just like, is your body able to hold up given how you play? Cause if he has another year where he's injury riddled again, it's like, it could be a situation where it's like, is this just it? Like, is it 
is he already falling apart physically? Like that to me is my biggest concern with Jaime. I love it. Our our, our first injury concern with, with one of these guys on, on the all my worries. I, I love it. Yeah. I love it. Caleb Love, the UNC guard, six foot four, two hundred pounds, played in thirty nine games last year. Why so many games? Well, because they won the freaking national championship. That's why. Actually, no, they didn't hey, win the yeah, national yeah. championship. That was Kansas. <laughs> oh my goodness! I listen, man. We watched so much basketball. They, they, I, I really thought they were going to win the national championship, <laughs> but can, Kansas pulled it out, which we're talking about a few Kansas guys in a second. 15.9 points per game, 3.4 rebounds, 3.6 assists, 37.1% from the field, 36% from three, 86% from the line, 2.7 turnovers, 15 PER, and a 51.2 true shooting percentage. So what do I want to see if it wasn't obvious enough from the numbers? Can Love become a more efficient finisher around the basket to open up the rest of his perimeter-oriented scoring attack? This man loves to take jumpers. He loves to make jumpers. He is an okay playmaker. I think he was better last year. But when he gets around the basket, it can be a hot mess at times. And that needs to improve, Stephen. You you and I went and we talked at length about Mr. Love last year. And you... You made some pretty apt Seth Curry type of comparisons for him, but yeah. as good as Caleb Love can be as a shooter, if he can live up to a similar billing like that, Seth Curry is not a zero around the basket. That guy's a crafty finisher. So what yeah. what do you want to see from Caleb Love this year? Yeah, I mean, the shot's there, right? So if I'm looking for something else to improve his draft stock, like right now I kind of have him flirting with like back half of the second round right now uh, because shooting is really all he does. Uh, I would like to see some improved playmaking reads, you know, not some more advanced stuff, you know, how involved is he going to be in the pick and roll or is he just going to be, you know, Oh, Hey, look, I'm getting a closeout. Let me take a dribble and kick it to the high post or something like that. Right. Um, he's splitting time with RJ, you know, so I would, I would just like to see him insert himself more into the um, let me get other people involved because I think that that's going to be the aspect that NBA teams would look at that and say, all right, like we got a guaranteed bucket from beyond the arc. If, you know, our our best player has enough gravity and he's drawing extra help, you know, I, I can trust Caleb Love to make him pay, yep. pay from outside and get other people involved. So that's kind of what I'm looking for is can you get other people involved? No, that that's absolutely a, a fair criticism. When I said he was an okay passer, Maxwell, like I, I, I meant it. He's he's just an okay passer. What else do you want to see from, from Caleb Love this year? I would love to see him make more than 40% of his twos. Um, <laughs> which is like a colossal problem that encompasses um, even more than what I said. So there, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to be more specific, I'd like to see better footwork and angles out of him. Like it is really surprising how poor of a job I thought he did getting to the rim and like beating guys when he had just a better athlete guarding him. Like, I, I don't think he has a problem when he's playing against college basketball players, whenever he played against people that I thought were NBA caliber, he really struggled to get to his spots on the court against them. And like, that's when you see the settling. That's when you see the more erratic decision-making and things like that. Like I just want to see him clean up and polish how he gets to the basket. I would agree with that assessment. 100%. Let's move on to somebody who did actually win the national championship last year. Oh, the, the, the draft deeper brain farts, man. I'm telling you, we do these late podcasts. Grand, Grandpa and they can't keep up anymore. It'd be like we, that sometimes. We, we try. Jalen Wilson, the Kansas wing, somebody, uh, I should say some people at no ceilings are 
pretty in love with what he could mm-hmm. end up becoming this year. Played in 37 games last year, started in 27 of those games, 11.1 points per game, 7.4 rebounds, 1.8 assists, 46% from the field, 26% from three-point range, 18.4 PER, and a 54.4 true shooting percentage. What do I want to see? Wilson will be a much more featured scoring option this year at Kansas. They're going to rely on him as a veteran presence. So with the upped volume from distance, Maxwell, since you do buy into Jalen Wilson's improvements and continued improvements, will he also keep the efficiency at or above where he was last year on potentially significantly higher volume from three-point range? What do you want to see from him? Yeah, so I want to see him shoot like he did at the Combine. I thought at the combine, like he was 100% (laughs) hitting from NBA range. And I don't expect him to hit like 57% or whatever he did during combine week, but he's he's got to be better than 26%, man. Like exactly. And I think even if he's like 34, I'm in on him. I think his passing is better than it gets credit for um, because he's so quick for a four. And when he gets on Hill, like he's good at punishing the help when the big defender comes, but he also has surprisingly good eyes for the corner. Like I was really shocked when I went back into the film, how many good kicks he had to the corner off of like, uh Oh, somebody made a mistake and helped off the strong side corner or like, Oh, the weak side man, like gave Ochai Baji way too much space. Like he made those reads pretty consistently. So I just want to see, can you continue to hit those threes and particularly, can you hit them from NBA range? Like, like it looked like he was 100%. And then you referenced that combine full Maxwell. And yeah, I, that combine full man, you, if you only watch that, you're like, why isn't he in the NBA yeah. today? Like, yeah. like seriously, what am I it, missing? Was, it mm-hmm. was that good. <laughs> um, Steven, what do you want to see from him? Yeah, Maxwell touched on one, like obviously, you know, being the the the, the shooting and reliable offensive uh, playmaking. I want to see the, the pressure, right? I, I want to see how he handles attacking with help and, and still being able to find that guy. Like he did benefit from playing with guys like Braun and Ogbaji last year. So there's only so much pressure that a defense can apply to a guy like Wilson. So now that he's going to be the guy this year, I want to see how he drives and kicks, drives and finishes. You know, how much of a bag does he have when he is going to be initiating a lot of the run, especially at his position? It's going to be very valuable. Um, I kind of have him in my wait and see range in like the early 50s, late 40s, but it's just because I want to see the the increased uh you know role on this kansas jayhawks team i've got in the first round by the way first round jalen wilson oh i i I know you're absolutely in in love with him and and (laughs) it's it's no it's not out of the question i wasn't until the combine and then like after the combine like the more i dug into the film i'm like damn it if he just shoots like 34 percent, it's there everything else is there like if you're telling me Jalen Wilson was a first round pick, like however many months from now, like I I wouldn't be shocked. I think he can absolutely make those improvements on a Kansas team that is going to take a lot of names and kick a lot of ass because that's mm. how talented and deep this group is. Another piece to that talent and that depth is Kevin McCuller coming in as a transfer, six foot six, two hundred ten pound senior wing, twenty nine games played last year, twenty four games started, ten point one points per game, four point six rebounds, three point one assists. from the field, 31% from three, 1.4 steals per game, a 15 PER and a 50.3 true shooting percentage. He's not the conventional defensive playmaker and stuffing the box score stats that we would want to see to indicate like, oh, this guy's like a standout defender, but you've watched the tape. There is so much more on the film that you don't get 
from the stats. But the offensive end is the concern. Steven, what do I want to see from McCuller? Can he become just an average shooter from yeah. distance to give him a role within an NBA offense that that complements his defensive ability? Like what, what Maxwell just said with Jalen Wilson, like 34% on upped volume, that'd be great. Kevin McCuller, keep some keep maybe slightly uptick in the volume that you were at last season, but bring that percentage up to like that 36, 37% range, given that that's the majority of all he's probably going to be doing on an NBA floor offensively. You got to prove to me that you can do that skill to keep you on the floor for all the other good things you do from a hustle standpoint. What do you want to see? Yeah, I mean, even if he's not going to be a great shooter, I would love to just see improved craft around the basket, you know, when he is attacking. I think that that would be something that I would love to see from him because even we we see NBA wings all the time who can't shoot, but they do offer that that defense. But you have to have some sort of offensive skill. And I think that if he can improve as a slasher play finisher, you know, that could increase his value a lot. And with Kansas, they might have the personnel to let him to be able to do that, right? Um, he's going to have some drive and kick options available on this team. He's going to have some sound rollmen on this team. He, Kansas is kind of like a leave note. Like there are no more excuses once you're going to play at Kansas for him this season. And I kind of have him flirting with like a late second right now. But it, that could <laughs> that can soon change if he's taking advantage of all the help that he's going to have on this really deep Jayhawks team this year. I, I I like him a lot. I don't like making jokes about him because he has been consistently like the same level of defender, which is really good, but he's just, he's got to improve some sort of offensive craft other than potentially being like a tertiary playmaker on a team. Maxwell, what do you want to see from Kevin McCullough this year? Yeah. I'm, I'm actually kind of splitting the difference between the shooting and the inside finishing. I, I just want to see some, where on offense that he can score consistently mm -hmm. um, at the NBA level. Cause I, I think the shot like looks fine off the catch. That's like the easiest path to me is if he can just become a consistent shooter, but even if he can find ways to improve as a cutter or even do the kind of stuff like that Marjan Bochamp did for the ignite last season, where it's like, that's a, that's you can, a great, you name. can get him around the elbows and like, he can knock down a shot there or he can make a quick pass from there. Like even that sort of thing, just some place, where I know that he's a threat to score the ball offensively. Like that's that's all I want to see. That's that's a great name for him to to try and emulate more of 100%. So two of these next three guys did not get a ton of opportunity last year, but we'll certainly see significantly more opportunity this year, especially on the offensive side. We'll start with Jordan Hawkins, the Yukon guard, 6 foot 5, 195 pounds, 20 27 games played last year, only 4 games started. Played 14.7 minutes a night, only 5.8 points per game, 35% from the field, 33% from three-point range, 49.8 true shooting percentage. What do I want to see from Jordan Hawkins, Maxwell? Listen, it's it's not just the no ceilings guys. There are plenty of people on Twitter and social media who are talking him up like, man, the breakout potential with him, the number one scoring upside potential with him at the college level could really translate into a nice uh, opportunity for him at the NBA level. All right, well, let's see it. How much of a primary scoring role can Hawkins actually handle from an efficiency standpoint? Because even in a more limited role, Maxwell, the efficiency wasn't great. Maybe maybe that's just rhythm. Maybe that's just him coming in as a freshman. Maybe that's he's in the lineup, he's out of the lineup. Like He just can't get comfortable. What's he going to look like as a primary guy, and, and can he actually do it efficiently? What do you want to see? 
Yeah, that's a great, a great question. And I think with Andre Jackson potentially missing the start of the year now, like that's even more pressure might get an answer to. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. I want to see him do better against closeouts. I think that he does a nice job just operating with the ball on an Island and like using uh, his dribble craft and getting low and things like that. But I, there were times where guys would close out like relatively hot on him and he just did not get where he wanted to get. So I just like to see more improved quickness and burst out of a standstill on offense. Cause I think he is going to shoot better. Uh, he runs his actions really hard and he hits some nice shots off of movement. He did a better job keeping his feet aligned with the hoop, which is something that he wasn't doing early in the year, which is the most frustrating shooting quirk in the world to me when guys have that issue. But uh, he really cleaned that up and I think he's going to shoot it. I just want to see him use, just get places quicker with the ball on offense. Steven, I, I think you're you're a little higher coming in on, on Mr. Jordan Hawkins, if I'm correct. Maybe I'm not. I have correct. him 38. I have him 38. Like I'm not. I don't think I'm low on him. Yeah, but he's I, like 43 okay. for me too. Yeah. We're in the same range. Okay. Yeah. Well, what do you want to see from from Mr. Hawkins this year? I would like to see some competent defense. Like I think that what's really going to kind of set him apart. If you're looking at an NBA role again, like. The, the NBA is not shy on guys that can just come in and shoot from outside. You know, can he come in and give you some point of attack, point of attack defense, you know, kind of like a, a Landry Shamit type role in the NBA could be something that we might be envisioning for our guy here. Um, on top of that, like willing, willing passing. I would love to see that too. You know, how, how much of a playmaker can he be, you know, not necessarily initiating the offense, but can he keep, can you keep the ball moving? Can you get others involved as well? I would kind of split the difference between those two. Moving to another guard who's going to get plenty of opportunity this year in a sophomore season, Nolan Hickman, the Gonzaga guard, six foot two, 180 pounds, played in 32 games last year, did not start in any of them, was 17.2 minutes per game off the bench, 5.1 points per game, one and a half rebounds, 1.3 assists. 44% from the field, 30.8 from three-point range, 66.7 from the free throw line. What do I want to see from Nolan Hickman? Is Hickman capable of being a lead guard who can distribute as well as he can theoretically shoot? And what does that role look like at much higher volume given what he was walking into last year? What do you want to see from Nolan Hickman, Stephen? I'm a big believer in Nolan Hickman. I kind of have him in my wait and see range just surely out of trying to check my own bias because I was pretty big on him last year. I do believe in the shooting. He has one of the prettiest shot releases that I saw so last year. It's crazy that the efficiency is where it was. Um, I would just like to see the efficiency tick up. And then, you know, how is it an increased offensive responsibility going to take away from his defense because there were some very interesting point of attack stuff to his game last year. Maxwell, what do you want to see from Nolan Hickman? Yeah, basically the same as Steven. I want to see an increase in his efficiency and I want to see an increase in role. I want him to stake out a claim and steal those Andrew Nemhard minutes. Mm -hmm. um, I, I am not as big on Malachi Smith as a lot of people are. And I really think there's a world that like Nolan Hickman just is the guard and he should be. And they'll, they'll play those other two guards receiver Bolton and Malachi Smith alongside him. Um, but I just want to see him take over the offense. I think he's going to be a really good off ball shooter, but I want him to be the on ball creator for this Gonzaga team. And I want to see him close the with effective shooting splits. I think he really needs to be to, to up his stock in, in NBA draft circles that that is who he needs to be. The last name on the list, Harrison Ingram, the Stanford forward, six foot seven, 230 pounds, 
coming in for his sophomore season. Played in 32 games last year, started 30 of those games, 31.1 minutes per game. Played a significant role in certain respects for that Stanford team, certainly on the defensive side of the ball. So, Nathan, why do you have him as last on the list if he was playing a major role last year? Shouldn't we be talking about him in, in a much higher regard? Well, what do I want to see from him? Any semblance of efficient scoring from anywhere on the floor. Harrison, just give me something, sir. Just just give me give me anything. Like, Maxwell, I'm sorry, but 47.9 true shooting percentage for a six foot seven, 230-pound forward. That's the best you got. And it's not like he's one of these guys where you could argue against his true shooting percentage because he's living from taking and trying to make perimeter shots. Like he would take open threes. He would dribble into some threes, but a lot of the damage he was trying to do was around the basket and he just could not finish around the basket. either. So I don't know what he's doing on an NBA floor from a scoring standpoint. I still don't know. I think that's why he wasn't a guy who stayed in the draft last year, but that's why I want to see just any semblance of efficient scoring. What do you want to see? Uh, obviously that um, I, <laughs> I think so. There's two things. And one of them is like from the draft community as a whole, people talked about Stanford. Like they were like the worst basketball team in the country last season. And I think really over-exaggerated the lack of help. Yet. They finished 500. Spencer Jones is really good. Jordan Delaire was good. Brandon Angel had a good season. Like this team did not totally suck. Like, like it was perplexing. I still like Spencer Jones, by the way. I do too. Like, he's really good. Like, I think a lot of people were just like way too happy to make excuses for him. I want to see him get in better shape. I, I think that was okay. like the biggest thing on both ends that betrayed him was just yeah. he didn't move very well. Um, but I think he's a really smart player. And like, I, I, I think this guy just eats at me because I was so wrong about him. But Delano Banton also had terrible true shooting percentages. But I think where Delano has a big leg up is he's just a much better athlete and yep. he was really thin, yeah. but he moved a lot better. And I think if Ingram can, can just do that, I think it's going to make him a much more effective defensive player. It's going to allow him to use his intellect better. Cause he really sees the game. Well, he is a smart, yep. smart player. They don't let guys like me into Stanford. You know, you gotta be, you gotta be a smart guy to go to school. There, <laughs> no, absolutely. Period point blank. Um, and, and yeah, I think offensively it would just allow him to exploit advantages and the things that he sees so much quicker that I think the scoring would come along if he can come into the season and, and look like a better athlete. Steven, what do you want to see from, from Harrison Ingram? I mean, Maxwell touched on it. The athleticism, you know, being in better shape, I think would like kind of lend itself towards that. And I was one of the people that beat up Sanford because you know, obviously they're not completely bereft of talent, but if you're, if you're bringing in a guy like Harrison Ingram, who was highly regarded coming in, yeah, he's like to, top 20 on RC. Yeah. He's yeah. a, very talented guy. They just don't have, I don't think that they had the personnel that really complemented his skill set, you know, like where you have an offense run through him at kind of like the elbow or post playmaking ability. That's what I think, you know, when I was criticizing Stanford, that was more so the areas like you just don't have the players that accentuates him. Like, could you imagine him and Turquavion Smith on a team together? Like those would be like the two types of players that would, like highlight each other's strengths and like negate each other's weaknesses a lot because I like Harrison as a, as a defensive guy, but he just needs guys who can spread the floor and and keep pressure off of him as the lead playmaker out of those areas of the floor. So um, 
I would like to see improved help around him for his skill set. But um, ultimately, I think, you know, being in better shape is the more easy of the of those two things. And that wraps it up for our top returners podcast. We got through 16 names. We we gave our thoughts and insights on all of those guys. So we're, we're mowing along these, these NBA draft preview episodes. But nevertheless, this one was a lot of fun, as they've all been and will continue to be. Just we'll continue to be somewhere else. I'll reiterate one more time. This is the last full episode that will be posted on the Draft Deeper podcast feed. You will find all future episodes of Draft Deeper on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed, which, by the way, I can share now that we've had our official preseason meeting and No Ceilings. Draft Deeper will run on Monday mornings on the No Ceilings yep. NBA podcast feed. So make sure every single Monday morning you're starting your week out with us. In draft deeper fashion, we will be talking about what I write at the morning dunk, what Maxwell writes in his prospect overview, and what Steven's talking about in his weekend warrior. A lot of what we do anyways is to really cover a lot of the major hits and highlights from the week that was. So what better way to start off your week on the podcast feed than us talking about what we're working on, what is coming out that same day. We want to share a lot of those thoughts and insights with you and keep you informed about what happened last week and where are we going the next week in the college season. So catch draft deeper Monday mornings on the no ceilings NBA podcast feed. And thank you again for all the support you've shown us here at draft deeper, all the, all the love, all the tweets, all the communication, all the subscribers, all the listens. It means a ton to me. And I can't wait to carry that over to the no ceilings NBA feed to really help us as a collective keep growing and accomplish the goals that we want to accomplish. So you can follow me on Twitter at draft deeper. Make sure you're subscribed to the no ceilings NBA feed. Make sure you're subscribed to the no ceilings NBA Substack, stack, You can find all of my work there and you can find the work of everybody else there as well. Maxwell I'll start with you. Tell the people as always where they can find you and what are you working on next for no ceilings? Yeah, uh, at Boundboards on Twitter, at B-A-U-M, the word boards. Uh, still working on my Jalen hood Shafino piece. Uh, very hey. exciting. I think I found my my little hook that I'm going to go with outside of just the basketball analysis. And I'm going deep on the basketball analysis. We're getting plenty of basketball analysis. We're also getting some fun narrative stuff in there. So had have to sprinkle that. that. That part's written and good to go. And then this week, doing some more deep dives on the film. But I... I love what I'm seeing so far. Oh, we, we, we love Jalen Huchifino as a prospect. So definitely right. we will, we will keep our eyes out for that. Steven plug yourself as well. And you, you already teased Marcus yep. Sasser's next on the list, right? Yeah. I'm uh, Marcus Sasser. Uh, talked about him a little bit today. Um, the article I think is going to be really good. It's kind of parroting a lot of what I did for uh, Houston mallet, as far as like the length of the analysis, things like that. So Pretty excited about it. It should be coming out this upcoming week. So by the time you're listening to Draft Deeper, you know, keep your noties on for No Ceilings NBA and uh, be sure to check out the website on a daily basis. You can follow me on Twitter at Stephen G Hoops. And uh, I'm just looking forward, fellas, to to this season. We have more announcements coming down the line here soon. And I'm excited about shifting over to the No Ceilings NBA feed. But like Nathan, like you said, man, it's it's been an honor to be a part of Draft Deeper the link that I have been I'm excited to keep that going over at a new home, but you know, this place would be nothing without the folks that have uh, 
just been along and made themselves, you know, part of the draft people following. It's just been a, it's been a joy and a pleasure to be a part of it, man. And don't worry, Ke- Kevin's still coming along for the ride That's as right. well. He just couldn't join us tonight, which is bittersweet because it's the last episode on this feed. But this is, this is goodbye for now on the draft deeper RSS feed. But until next time, we will see you in a new place. Thank you all for listening. Hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week. Stay tuned. Much love, y'all.